Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. In this segment of Long Story Short, I'm with reporter Jennifer Palmer, who covers education for Oklahoma Watch. She's been reporting on the governor's education programs using federal COVID relief dollars. The fallout from Governor Stitt's programs using federal dollars to address student needs in the pandemic escalated last week. Jennifer, tell us what happened. We received a final audit report from the Office of the Inspector General. This is a division of the U.S. Department of Education that has been looking at states' spending of GEAR funds, which was a specific pot of COVID relief money given to governors. And what did the auditors find? They had several findings. The main kind of top line that we looked at was that they went through the expenditures in the digital wallet program, which is one that we have reported on as well. And they found a number of uh, purchases that were not educational. They have asked the U.S. Department of Education, the auditors recommended the U.S. Department of Education claw back at least $650,000 from Oklahoma and also review another $5 million in purchases. And maybe remind us uh, how some of that money was spent uh, that the, the federal government wants to take back. Right. These were funds that were intended for students who were, most of whom were learning from home um, early in the pandemic. This was fall of 2020. And they found purchases of lots of items like TVs, furniture, patio furniture, grills, um, gaming consoles, um, things like that. All right. How did the state respond to the audit? The state did file a response, and um, they did not, however, agree to uh, review those funds or pay back the funds. The governor's office has said previously that they are looking to um, hold a vendor accountable for that misspending um, instead of paying it back. But we'll see what happens when the U.S. Department of Education gets involved. Now, have other states been audited or was this only Oklahoma? There have been three so far. Oklahoma was uh, the first to have um, the recommendation to claw back some of the monies or return some of the funds. Now, doesn't uh, the audit sort of mirror some of the stories you've had covering this program? It does. Um, We had a story in conjunction with The Frontier that came out in May Um, found some really similar uh, misspending of these funds. Uh, The auditors actually found a higher dollar amount when we analyzed the purchases. We were pretty um, liberal with what we considered um, educational, and the auditors were a little bit less so. And uh, that, but that was quite a difference, right? Almost three times as much, wasn't it, that the, that the audit said was misspent? 
The audit said 650,000. We found nearly 500,000. Oh, so it was a little bit more. Um, now, both uh, Governor Stitt and uh, Education Secretary Walters are on the campaign trail right now. Has this issue come up while they've been campaigning? You know, disappointingly, the the governor and Walters have yet to sit down with us. Uh, we keep following up with questions. We'd still like some answers to um, you know, our questions about how this program was run and overseen. Um, there's still, you know, a state report on this program that they have not released that might shed some light on on what was being overseen. Um, but I have seen it brought up, uh, certainly by constituents on the campaign trail um, or, you know, on social media. They're very concerned about this misspending and would like to see the candidates, uh, Walters and or Stitt, address this program. Um, it was also a question in several of the debates that had happened before the primary. And and what are uh, Walters and Stitt saying? Are they responding to those concerns uh, publicly at all while they're campaigning, or are they just just blowing them off? Well, in the debate, Walters did respond um, and and just basically said, uh, you know, he distanced himself from the program, said that it was already in place before he became Secretary of Education. He found the vendor was out of compliance, and he was the one that, um, you know, kind of tried to hold them accountable through litigation, possibly. Um, but we know from our reporting that he was instrumental in getting that program started even before he was Secretary of Education. Uh, is there any litigation? Has a lawsuit been filed that we know of? It has not. Uh, what's next in the process uh, and on this story? Well, the audit report that came out is really a recommendation to the U.S. Department of Education. So there's still another level that needs to happen before the funds are, um, you know, clawed back. And we'll see whether the federal agency, you know, takes up their recommendation. But that's kind of the next step with, with the federal audit. All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. You can read uh, Jennifer's coverage of the gear funds and the federal audit of Oklahoma's spending, uh, along with all our other investigative work on our website, oklahomawatch.org. In this segment of Long Story Short, I'm with criminal justice reporter Ashlyn Huffman. She's been digging into state questions 780 and 81 uh, even prior to joining Oklahoma Watch recently. Her first story for us takes a look at what's been going on uh, almost seven years after those state questions were passed. Ashlyn, you've done a lot of reporting on this before. Did you learn anything new? Actually, yeah. So for the bulk of my reporting, we were asking, where's the money at? Well, this time I found out that money has not actually been invested into 781, but a different diversion program has been funded over the last several years. Okay, and just maybe take a second, remind people what 780 and 781, what those state questions uh, were intended to do. So state question 780 reclassified certain drug and property crimes to misdemeanors to lower the incarceration rate and save the state money. And then 781 was a fund created to go back into the communities since now people would not be in state prisons, but in county jails and treatment programs. So you interviewed quite a few 
people working on this uh, story that uh, published Tuesday morning. Were there any interviews that you would have liked to do that uh, you were not able to include? Absolutely. So Governor Sid actually proposed an executive budget, his first budget, that $10 million be put into 781, and that was never it never happened. So I really would have liked to talk to Governor Sitt about why he didn't continue proposing it or what it felt like when he proposed it and legislators did not go through with it. All right. Well, this marks your first story published with Oklahoma Watch. How do you feel about that? It's exciting. I've wanted to work at Oklahoma Watch for a while. So just to see my name there, it's exciting. Now, there were some pretty complex uh, distinctions uh, in, in this particular story. Can you explain some of those? Yeah, so the diversion program Smart on Crime and 781 both go towards mental health and substance abuse treatment, but 781 specifically goes into the counties for treatment. It helps fund drug courts, which are lacking funds as we speak. Um, Smart on Crime is a different diversion program, which is a great thing for the state, but it doesn't help the communities, um, the counties that are struggling financially because now they have to put forth money for treatments and county jails. Hey, you've been following this for a while. Do you see any follow-up stories coming from this? I'm not going to say no. I anticipate quite a bit, depending on what happens with the interim study. Representative Humphrey said if there's no money, he's definitely going to rerun his bill this legislative session. So what do you think is the biggest takeaway from this story? What should people remember? Both Smart on Crime and 781 are great diversion programs. Damien Shade said that they should not be pitted against each other. We should be able to fund both mental health diversion programs, but 781 was voted on by the people, and so people should push to get that funded. All right. Well, thanks, Ashland. You can read Ashland's Huffman's story about where we stand with state questions 780 and 781 seven years after the fact and all our other investigative work at OklahomaWatch.org. In this segment, I'm with reporter Jennifer Palmer, our education reporter at Oklahoma Watch, and she covered a rather contentious state board of education meeting about a week ago. Jennifer, what was the main issue that the board addressed? Uh, In the July meeting, the board typically uh, addresses accreditation. And so this is a review of all schools and districts across the state and how well they're meeting certain requirements. Lots of them are pretty mundane. Um, But this meeting in particular, there were two two districts that were um, downgraded on their accreditation for violations of or complaints of of violations on House Bill 1775. Well, maybe remind us, what was House Bill 1775? This was a bill that was passed last year, so 2021, and it uh, bans certain types of discussions of race and um, gender in schools and classrooms. Now, one of the districts facing consequences was uh, Tulsa Public Schools, state's largest district, right? That's right. Most of the discussion was about Tulsa. And uh, what was the other district involved? At the, uh, after board members, you know, talked about Tulsa for a long time. They decided to um, put a fairly harsh penalty on Tulsa. They discovered that Mustang Public Schools had also had a complaint under this law, 
uh, new law, and um, they hit Mustang with the same sanction. Uh, and so what what were those sanctions? Um, so both districts were accredited with warning. There's kind of five levels of accreditation, um, and this would be um, about in the middle, you know, kind of the third level. Okay. Um, can you tell us what led to the complaints? Was it a, a teacher's lesson or, or what caused, uh, what gave rise to those complaints? That's one of the really interesting parts about this. The law, um, you know, pretty clearly spelled out that these discussions are banned from, you know, sessions that are mandatory or, you know, curriculum for students. Neither of these instances were um, in that situation. They weren't mandatory. They weren't necessarily with students. The, the Mustang incident was in a leadership class, and it was a voluntary activity um, called Cross the Line. Um, and that was kind of where the complaint arose there. Students were being asked to uh, kind of examine other people's struggles with um, discrimination uh, to build empathy. And in the Tulsa situation, it was a teacher training. Uh, do you know any more about what was going on in that training that someone objected to? We don't know everything. Part of the difficulty is the training was um, put on by a third-party vendor that Tulsa hired. Um, the Even the state board members were not able to review the audio of that training because the vendor only released it under a limited license for the state Department of Education to review, and that's how they found um, the violation. The materials, like the slides and things from the presentation, the the State Department's attorney said there was no violation found in that material. It was only in the audio. And even then, he said it was a very close call. Uh, why then did the the state board come down so harshly on these two districts? That's the part that has become very political. Um, the, the rules that were passed after this law was approved by uh, Governor Stitt and the legislature um, the rules say that, it, you know, it should be um, a deficiency, you know, accredited with a deficiency at a minimum. And the state board really pushed to go above that and set more of a um, more of a warning to the district and more of an example so that other districts will take this issue very seriously. Uh, are, do the, the districts, Mustang and Tulsa, do they have any recourse? Not really. Mustang has come out and said, you know, this was a one teacher, a one-time thing. They handled the complaint right away um, and resolved it, and they felt like it was a very unexpected and harsh punishment, but they have said they will do everything they can to make sure that there are no, you know, um, no other complaints in the next year so that they can get a clean accreditation next year. How has Tulsa responded? There has been kind of a groundswell of support for Tulsa um, in the community, you know, basically supporting the school district for doing what's right for students and um, trying to work through some, you know, teacher um, implicit bias and things like that, that the training was supposed to address. I mean, Tulsa has a long history with the Tulsa race massacre and, you know, the district being 
um, largely minority students. And so they are trying to do a lot of that work. And that is where the training fell under this, this new law. When you reported this story, you described the meeting as unsettling. What did you mean? I mean, I've covered the education, the State Board of Education for six and a half years now for Oklahoma Watch, and they have had to deal with some very, very serious problems in districts. You know, um, they've had uh, sex abuse cases and, you know, they've got Western Heights where the board is like holding the district hostage and epic charter schools where tens of millions of dollars has now allegedly been embezzled, right? And this just seemed so out, the reaction of the board members seemed so out of proportion compared to those issues that they've dealt with and their outrage over this, you know, one little, um, one sentence or one question in the, in the Mustang incident that students were asked, it seemed very disproportionate to, to some of the larger issues we're facing. And what, what's the, the makeup of the State Board of Education? Now, at the moment, the, the superintendent, Joy Hoffmeister, is uh, going to be giving up that post, right? She's running for governor. Who's the rest of the board? What, how, where do they come from? Well, they're all state appointees. So, you know, the the State Board of Ed is all governor appointees. And at this point, Stitt has now chosen all of them. All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. You can read uh, Jennifer Palmer's uh, coverage of the State Board of Education and other education-related topics throughout Oklahoma on our website, oklahomawatch.org, where you can also subscribe to her weekly newsletter, Education Watch. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. Oklahoma Watch is a nonpartisan, nonprofit news organization. That means that we rely on readers and listeners like you to help fund the important work that Oklahoma Watch does throughout the state. We're in the middle of our spring fundraising campaign. If you enjoy the work we do, if you feel as though you benefit from it and the state of Oklahoma benefits from what we do, please take a moment to visit our website and make any contribution that you're comfortable with, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever's comfortable for you will help keep this important work going. Visit our donations page at oklahomawatch.org.